Hello and welcome to UX Soup, a podcast that looks beyond the buzzwords to give you the latest developments impacting the user experience of personal devices and services in the home and on the go. As always, UX Soup is presented by Strategy Analytics, a global research and consulting firm providing our clients with insights, analysis, and expertise. I'm Chris Schreiner. Diana and Lisa are off this week. So one of the many things that I enjoy about doing this podcast is be able to talk to other user experience professionals in other areas and get their perspectives about how UX research and methods are deployed and shaped within their particular contexts. So I've worked in academia before and in industry and as a consultant now for many years. And each one, of course, has its own unique elements which impact the kinds of, of work that we do and how we do it. And today I wanted to look at a, a case study of UX within academia and how the consultancy model is, is being used there. Duncan Stephen is a user experience manager at the University of Edinburgh, where he leads the user experience and digital consultancy service. Duncan, welcome to UX Soup. Thank you very much for having me. So if you could tell me a bit, this is interesting to me to come across uh, kind of, you know, my work as a consultant, but being used within academia and, and seemingly uh, having a, a, a broad support within uh, your university. So can you tell me a little bit about, uh, well, first, the kinds of work that you do and how this group started up? Yeah, sure. So I'll maybe speak a little bit about how our team looks at the moment and then I'll kind of fill in with a bit of the, the history of how we've got to where we are. So, um, yeah, we are a small team in the University of Edinburgh helping people across the university trying to make better, more human-centred decisions. Um, at the moment, the UX team is me and three others. We all have a bit of a blend of user experience and content design skills. Um which kind of is a, is a function of where we sit within the organization. So we work as part of a section called Website and Communications, uh, and we work alongside developers and designers and product people. And um, I guess our, uh, as part of our work with that um, section, I guess about 80% of our work is around supporting that team in developing and maintaining the university's main website content management system. So that's where a lot of our focus of our work is and where the team has kind of sprung up from is around that kind of website support side of things. But yeah, we do operate a little bit like an internal consultancy. Um, right now, because of everything that's going on in the world and in our team and all the rest of it, we're trying to figure out how we make that kind of support more sustainable because Edinburgh is, is a massive, massive institution. Yeah. It's very complex and evolved and there are only two or three of us at any one time <laughs> at the moment. So yeah, resource challenges, competing priorities, uncertainty around COVID, COVID, all the rest of it, kind of bringing focus on how we can continue to make the case for this kind of more human-centered thinking in a sustainable way. So at the moment, we're kind of as well supporting our website and communications colleagues. We're thinking about how do we offer training and kind of a, like a light touch support and guidance materials for people to pick up. And we're always here as with a sort of half, half open door for people to kind of come and we can give advice. But we're trying to really um, help the university community own as much of that kind of human-centered thinking as possible and kind of coach other people who are interested in the university to, to make better more human-centered decisions yeah, so it sounds like uh, the, the the challenges that you face are very similar to what everybody else faces resource yeah. allocation and covid and yeah yeah and sometimes too much work and yeah that's that's all very very familiar <laughs> yeah 
Um, so I guess, I, I mean, the, about the history of the team. So like I was saying, like we kind of grew out of the kind of content management system team. Before I joined the team, um, my kind of predecessor, Neil Allison, did a huge amount of groundwork kind of advocating for user experience within the university and, and kind of made it his key focus. And it was one of the reasons I wanted to join this team, actually, was seeing him speak about user experience at, at higher education web conference and sort of it completely re it kind of revolutionized the way I think about user experience. And a lot of that groundwork that the team did before I before I joined is is kind of why um, the UX service kind of sprung up the way it did. So yeah, originally it was kind of um, user experience was kind of centered around the kind of content management system side of things, and the team did lots of user research and usability testing, and they take them out on these roadshow events and show people the videos and people trying to use the CMS. And that kind of served a kind of dual purpose because it was kind of promoting the work that the team was doing on improving the CMS, but also advocating for user experience as an approach that anyone in the university could be adopting. So as a result of the momentum that was building around that, at one point, um, Neil managed to secure some additional funding from a digital transformation initiative. You know, every uh, large organization has one of those mm -hmm. and uh, we're no different. So, yeah, we began to be able to spread our wings a little bit. And that's when it sort of became a UX service. And it wasn't just sort of supporting the CMS, but we were starting to look a bit more broadly. And through that, we were able to bring on board some more team members. We brought in some contractors and uh, we were able to uh look at various different projects you know with those contractors it was just brilliant to be able to bring that expertise in and, and learn a great deal from them and for me it's like really inspirational to be able to work with them so then we were kind of working on a wider variety of projects doing consultancy for other departments and sometimes going far beyond the website and even digital to some more kind of fundamental aspects of user experience and service design um, so yeah, that pilot kind of came to an end and Neil had an opportunity to lead a new team in another part of the university uh, looking at web experiences for prospective students, which is great. So mm -hmm. some of our former colleagues from our team are now over there focusing in on prospective students and uh, we maintain a strong relationship with them, which is great. Um, and then I kind of had the privilege of being able to step up and become the user experience manager. But yeah, my challenge kind of having seen where the UX service had come and come from and got to with all those kind of fascinating consultancy projects that we were able to get involved in seeing that kind of disappear almost overnight you know the, the model kind of changed and so I kind of had to think well how, how do we then make this sustainable and yeah all the uncertainty and you know at the same right. time we were going through a bit of organizational change in our area uh, COVID happened everyone started having to work remotely and we're not really able to expand the team as we would like as well um, and I also, also interestingly, I knew I was going to step away a bit as well because I've had the privilege of becoming a father. So right. uh, last year I kind of took, uh, thank you, I took about half a year's worth of parental leave last year. So I had to also, <laughs> in the middle of thinking about all that, think about how do I set up our work in certain ways that I know it could sustain in my absence for a little bit. Yes. So, and, yeah. Go and, and being able to, to step away and, and kind of that, I think, can also help frame your vision of what you want this service to be. Yeah, absolutely. Because I still have this kind of like, obviously, this macro goal of kind of trying to improve user experiences at a more holistic level and promoting human centered thinking across the university. But in this much more kind of 
you know, in, in, the, in the reality of the world that we live in and, and, you know, resourcing being what it is and having to focus on our key project, which is looking at the how we build the new content management system because the software that it's uh, running on is about to reach the end of life. So that's mm-hmm. kind of, and because of where we sit in the organization and it's the right thing for us to be focusing on that. But the balance there I, ha- I have to strike is how do we continue to advocate for the user-centered practice across the, uh, across the organization? So a lot of my focus at the moment is kind of trying to build, rebuild a community of practice that was um, you know, going really well under Neil's leadership um, before I kind of took over, but and then the world changed. Um, <laughs> but because of that work that's happened in the past, we have we're lucky to have lots of pockets of support across right. the university. It is patchy, but there are people out there who really get it. Um, so we're, we've got a Microsoft Teams channel with more than 100 people in it. So there's lots of expertise out there as well that we're wanting to kind of tap into. So not thinking of ourselves as being the central UX team or the UX police or anything like that, right. but being more like the facilitators of a community and a network of practice, a community of practice. So that's so some of the things that I found really interesting about this were first that this kind of matrix organization that a lot of companies struggle to implement or get buy-in from, from higher on up um, to be able to provide those kinds of services to everybody rather than being siloed as UX people had traditionally been. So that really stuck out to me. So having those digital transformation grants and that additional money kind of freed up your ability to be able to refocus yourself in that way. Would that be... Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you said, it's a, I mean, it's the biggest challenge that we face as an organization, and it's just a function of its size and the, this sheer scale and diversity of what the university is trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. It's just a huge organization, and all decision-making is devolved to a very large degree. So there's very little kind of, um, I guess, uh, central control over these sorts of things or mm-hmm. sort of um, central power, I, I guess. I don't know what the right word is, but decision-making is very devolved, and your challenge then is to try and be persuasive to your colleagues you know how do, how do you make the case so right. we're lucky that we've had the opportunity to with that with that sort of extra bit of resource we had a few years ago to get involved in some really interesting projects a really diverse range of stuff and gain allies along the way and and uh, have some really great case studies of the of the power and the benefits of uh, doing human-centered work so what are some of those examples of the the projects that you've done sure yeah so uh, i guess um I, well, I'll think about it in sort of two kind of broad groups. So there's the stuff that's kind of the bread and butter of what we're doing around supporting website and communications. So the content management system is our kind of main focus. It's about 80% of our work. And we've got lots of content design expertise in our team because we support that um, project. So we're responsible for driving forward a lot of decisions around information architecture and content best practice guidance. So that's an interesting kind of that information architecture question is really interesting when you think about the structure of the organization and and that devolved decision making because we've got a very sprawling web estate. It's very departmental focused siloed web sections and users are getting bounced around from one section to another. And we know it's disorientating for our users. So we, I guess we're, we've got an opportunity to try and make those journeys a lot more joined up for our users. But in our context, it's a huge institutional challenge with ownership of, of decision-making being the way it is. Um, and yeah, it's kind of like a culture change thing that's way beyond our remit. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're trying to think about ways that we can use this new design of the, of the new CMS that we're currently building to try and help move that in the right direction a little bit. 
Um, there's a lot of work that my team is involved in around editorial standards. So we um, work with our colleagues in communication and marketing to own the editorial style guide. And there's an initiative at the moment where we're considering how we can help people who want to make their language more inclusive. So my colleague Gary Adnick Kasmaran has been working with other departments in the university's equality, diversity and inclusion groups to kind of co-design that. And obviously accessibility is a big focus for us as well. Uh, aligned with all that, we've got a team of people looking at building up a design system. Uh, so my colleague Sonia Verdi is heading up that. Um, and also sitting alongside us are, interestingly, the, the staff and student portal team. So they sit alongside us and they do lots of really great user experience work of their own. And we're often very closely involved with that. And that's a really interesting opportunity because, because it's a, since it's a portal, it gives us like a, a lot of visibility of a lot of student journeys because it's kind of like the connection point between all the various sprawling systems. And, and so we can see through the user experience work and the user research they do through that, um, some of the bigger picture opportunities about what can be improved around user experiences as a whole. Um, so that's a kind of, if you like, a, a set of things that are within the bread, bread and butter of what website and communications do, which is where my team sits. Um, but going a bit beyond that, we've also had lots of interesting opportunities to work on supporting decision making around teaching and learning. So that's areas, interestingly, much closer to the core of the university's business. Mm -hmm. So our team website and communication sits within a directorate called learning teaching and web um, so we kind of sit alongside lots of learning technologists which is a really interesting opportunity um, so i was asked to get involved in a project that was looking at the needs of staff and students accessing course materials digitally um, and i kind of kicked that off a few years ago and now that's been taken forward brilliantly by my colleague emma horrell um, but yeah we've got lots of learning technologists in the university lots of people who are really interested and really excited by the possibilities of using technology and learning mm -hmm. which is all great stuff but sometimes when you get obsessed with the technology you can forget about the basics <laughs> um, so we kind of find ourselves talking about in these you know meetings about what do we need to do with our virtual learning environments we talk about interactive things and discussion boards and things like that but when you actually speak to students you quickly right. discover that these are quite far down the priority list <laughs> um so you know in this project we were kind of asked to come in and and sort of we were asked to make it more consistent because you know the, the the problem's the same you know different schools set up their virtual learning environments in different ways sometimes different courses within the same school even set them up differently mm -hmm. and so we kind of had this sense that this was frustrating students especially ones who are doing joint degrees that sit across multiple schools and when we did our research we did discover that consistency was a bit of a problem but the more kind of fundamental thing that was going on was that we discovered that there are lots of students who were actually finding it really difficult just to get really basic stuff done stuff like finding their lecture slides a lot of people just really struggle to get really simple tasks completed mm -hmm. and we were able to get some really powerful footage of students trying to use our system and being unable to find their lecture slides and um yeah lots of incredible stories lots of rich detail that we got through that work and so a bit like what my predecessor neil did with those videos about the cms back in the day we took those videos out on tour we published them on on the internet and took them on road shows <laughs> and for lots of learning technologists it was the first time they'd ever seen a student trying to use their designs and it was like a real eye-opening moment for people you know you could see people you had to scoop people's jaws off the floor sometimes yep. Yep. from what they were witnessing and um yeah so that was like really really powerful project for us to be involved in and it kind of interestingly kind of took us a bit into service design territory as well because we were doing research with staff members as well because we 
figured out that for almost everything that students were finding frustrating, mm-hmm. there was something that staff members were struggling with that was causing that. Yep. So we built up this really rich picture of this whole ecosystem around how the system is used by staff and students. And we realized that our project didn't need to be just about helping students accessing the course materials. It was fundamentally about helping staff use the system mm-hmm. to then go on and do the right thing for students. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, we've we've seen with uh, as my daughter's at uni and yeah. has, has now you know kind of in a third year of some kind of hybrid in person or totally yes. remote, and the complaints that I I've heard uh, being able to access it and then she'll talk to the lecturer or, or her teacher and and they're struggling to understand yeah. the platform itself. Yeah, this is uh, just a huge yeah. gold mine of <laughs> research and findings. Absolutely. And, and we've got to empathize a little bit with the, t- the teachers and the academics who oh, are yeah. kind of in that position because they don't, you know, their job is to do academic research and to do some teaching. And the last thing they want to do is get their head around a system or whatever we're kind of imposing on them. We kind of realized that a lot of the problems were just, you know, someone designs a template somewhere and just like it just gets thrown on these people's shoulders at very short notice. They don't have the time to get into the detail of why is the template designed this way and why should they put this file here and name it with this naming convention and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's about trying to make that whole thing easier for staff is, is I think, where we've got the big biggest opportunity for improvement I think. So one of the uh, challenges in any consultancy is is getting your name out there is is mm-hmm. knowing finding your clients to that that need you to do work and yeah you mentioned that you have a, a team's channel for that how what other methods have there been to try and evangelize your consultancy throughout the university? Yeah so we've uh, we've done in the past we've done these kind of um, lunch and learn events we we sort of do these kind of road shows where we kind of go on tour, you know, it's kind of like tying it to these projects. So sort of talking about the work that we're doing around um, course materials and just um, getting it out there, you know, not expecting people to come to us, but just Mm -hmm. going on tour, uh, telling people why we're doing this thing that we're hoping we're going to improve their lives um, and um, sort of advocating for it. I think the thing The thing is that there's a lot of goodwill around the university and a lot of desire to improve uh, user experience, even if they're not quite using those words. Certainly student experience is a big focus. And, you know, I think there's an opportunity for the University of Edinburgh to kind of um, consider how how student experience can be improved. and, And there's a lot of effort going into that kind of area. And there's a lot of desire out there for people to consult with users and, um, I guess what we try to do is to kind of um, recognize that a little bit, but also say, well, are you kind of doing this in the best way? Because the, the temptation is for people to, uh, you know, throw out a survey. Well, you know, oh, we've got problems, students are dissatisfied, let's like get a survey out there. Uh-huh. And there's a bit of a perception that all you need to do is ask people what they want and then implement those things. Um, those of us who work in user research know that that's not the case. Uh-huh. And interestingly, there's a big problem in the university or a big issue around survey fatigue. So uh, we know this from a survey, ironically, that students <laughs> tell us that students say that they're consulted. What they don't see is the positive action that, that comes as a result of being consulted. So you know, we've got lots of people out there doing surveys and focus groups and things like that. And we're kind of trying to say that's all great stuff. But have you thought about how you're designing your surveys? How are you avoiding bias? How are you getting accurate information that you can actually act on? So not just opinions from people and not just like lists of feature requests, but how are you actually getting insight about how people behave and what they need? And so 
um, yeah, sometimes that's a hard message to get across to people because it sounds scary and it sounds like a lot of high effort, um, which, uh, you know, we just try to say it doesn't have to be. It, it can be as much effort as, as you need it to be or as little effort. But just do, doing like little short experiments, you know, just try and make things, nudge things into a slightly better direction. So I guess that's what a lot of what we're doing is sort of looking across the university, seeing what people are doing in this area and saying, have you thought about doing it in a more kind of user-centered way? And, and uh, you know, have you thought about how you can design your study so that you can get better insights that will uh, actually save you in the long run, save save you resource in the long run because you're not having to deal with complaints and you're not having to, you're not spending loads of time building the wrong thing and all that kind of stuff. So what are some of the, the other methods that you might use for, for some of these projects? Uh, so, uh, you mean there's user research yeah. methods? Yep. Yeah, yeah. So there's well, there's one particular technique, and this came in handy with the uh, the work we were doing around the virtual learning environment. Um, was top tasks? Have you come across the top tasks mm -hmm. approach? Yeah, yeah. So um, it seems that I mean that is a we find that a very powerful approach because the universe again the university is very large the web state is sprawling everyone's got lots of ideas for content they can put on the website or in their system and whenever we run a top task survey that has all these things in the list we always see that there are two or three things that really matter to users and being able to run a simple sort of top tasks study like that um, that's very powerful for people and then once people see the results you kind of say, oh, well, it's obvious. It's, obvious. it's funny how it's never <laughs> obvious before you do, do that study. But being able to see the two or three things that really matter to people always kind of makes things a lot a lot clearer. It makes it a lot clearer what we, we, we really need to focus on. Um, and yeah, because a lot of our work is around information architecture. And, and again, this is something that we made heavy use of in the um, virtual learning environment project. Um, card sorting, tree testing. Um, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, they're there with the virtual learning environment across a number of those studies and doing usability testing and interviews as well. We managed to engage with over 5,000 people or with people over 5,000 times, which is, you know, that's that's sort of, um, that kind of puts stakeholders at ease a little bit because, you know, obviously we kind of need the mix of qual and quant approaches as always. But um, when you've got uh, you know, high response rates and you've got the kind of uh, certainty that comes from having a, a quantitative like survey where that gives you um, a high degree, a higher degree of confidence that you're going in the right direction. It becomes easier to sell it to stakeholders yeah. and academics are sometimes uh, difficult to persuade. Um, but um, if you've got robust findings, if you've got robust research in place, then it becomes uh, easier to bring them on board. One of the questions I had is about kind of the the work environment or the time frames, time scales in yeah. this kind of consultancy. So if you work for uh, a tech company, you know, uh, agile environment and everything's, you know, or, yeah. or consultancy like ours where everything is when do you want it yesterday? You know, <laughs> how is that? Is that the same or how much? What is, what is that kind of like in, in academia? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult for me to draw a comparison because I've always, I've pretty much all my work has been with higher education institutions, so mm -hmm. it's difficult for me to compare. But I guess my sense is that timescales are very different, and the thing that people always say about higher education is that it does work at quite a glacial pace. Yes, and uh, I didn't want to say that right off the yeah, bat because you know um, I, I've had like 
you know, projects that would be like six months that I could do in like two weeks. But <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. And, and I think, I mean, there's a variety of challenges there. I mean, one thing is that, and I think it's, it's important to bear in mind that higher education are, are the core business, the core kind of purpose of these organizations is teaching and research. Mm-hmm. Um, websites and digital products are quite far away from the priority list, at the top of the priority list for the organization as a whole. So yeah, obviously they're very important, but if it comes to a resourcing decision, then you know they're always going to prioritize academic stuff and, and right. that's understandable. And yeah, I guess fitting into academic calendar schedules and and i guess i mean i think that the the main area where our deadlines come from is kind of around technical uh issues or you know so for example the the reason we're upgrading our cms at the moment is because the current one runs on drupal 7 it's reaching end of life it's not going to be supported in november so we then run up a project to transfer it to uh, and migrate the content into Drupal 9. And so that the imperative comes from that kind of, the kind of technical kind of uh, end of life dates, if you like. Um, and yeah, the sort of, sort of the cadence of when systems are being upgraded. Uh, so there are certain systems that get upgraded at certain times of year and all your work needs to be kind of ready by this certain cutoff point. Otherwise you have to wait a year for it to get implemented again. <laughs> Things like that. It's just the kind of the way our work is set up. Yep. Um, in terms of agile, um, I've seen, um, like, yeah, we, I've seen good implementations of agile in higher education or implementations that, that look good to me. Um, I guess there's always scope for improvement, and we're we're doing a lot of work in our team at the moment, adopting agile approaches, and that's a big kind of culture change piece that's going on within our team as well. It's kind of new to most people in in our team at the moment. But I think that's that's going quite well. There are definitely, um, it's it's definitely not um, the standard by any means to work in an agile way, mm-hmm. but it's something that's becoming increasingly, uh, or uh, that the, the awareness of it is growing. Let's say, and there are more and more, um, I guess, uh, good examples of it being used in higher education in a, in our organisation as well. So one final question for you. Um, if there was another academic institution that was, or UX person that was thinking of starting up this kind of uh, consultancy model, uh, any words of advice that you would give them? Uh, I would say start small. <laughs> you know, talking about <laughs> agile, start small. Don't have a. You know, it's easy to kind. Of, it's tempting to get um, hung up on. A, I guess a kind of a grand vision and, and the ideal way of things, um, but our environment is far from ideal. So I think obviously have your kind of goal in mind, your sort of high, higher level strategic goal. But um, I think to build it up, you need to be tactical to, to, to get it done. So think about, you know, the way the UX service grew was by basically advocating for UX within the work, you know, within our team around building the CMS and building it from there and sort of getting the word out. It's a very gradual process. Um, so that would be, I think that would be the main thing is just um, find the tactical wins as well as getting uh, a sense of what your higher level strategic goal is. Excellent. Well, Duncan, thank you very much for taking time out of your day to talk to us. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. It's been very enjoyable. Thank you. All right. Well, if you'd like to send us any questions, uh, you can always email us at uxsoup at strategyanalytics.com. The show notes on our podcast website, ux-soup.com, has links to Duncan and his group at the University of Edinburgh, as well as links to our own UX research. 
There you can also connect with each of us on LinkedIn. A reminder that UX Hoop is sponsored as always by Strategy Analytics. Check out the latest user-focused insights by visiting strategyanalytics.com. Thanks for joining us. Bye for now.